0: If you are a guest with us, I just want to tell you that I'm not the normal worship leader. Um, there are some better worship leaders that lead us. I, I trust that you enjoyed your time of worship, but, but uh, there are some better ones, and I'm just filling in for a little while as we raise up new leaders. Um, my chief job here on a Sunday is to bring God's Word, and it's my delight to do that. We are going through a little mini series as a church uh, taking a break as we go through the gospel of mark uh, that series in the mark and mark will take a while and i trust in all that we will be encouraged greatly equipped greatly by god's word but we wanted to take some time and actually planned this i think last last fall early fall just to take a little time to talk about the church and we'll probably do this again at some point and we do it just because there, this is an area, and there are different areas where we're just aware that we could strengthen in this area. And even um, even Michelle's announcement about dinners for eight is in line with this. We're recognizing as we grow as a church, uh, there are there are just certain pressures, certain things that happen uh, just as a normal part of expansion that are challenges. And one challenge is to continue to build community together. And for us. Um, Meeting on Sunday is an important part of that. The most important part beyond that is our small groups. But there are other ways that we can also foster that uh, through things like Dennis for Aid and through uh, other ministries that we do where we can come together. What I want to talk about this morning is a, a crucial aspect of building a healthy church uh, that I think addresses some of the very things that we've been talking about, addresses the need for community, the need for strength in the church. And that's the issue of deacons. I want to talk about deacons. And, and you're probably thinking, oh boy, why did I, if you're a guest, why did I pick this Sunday to hear about deacons? I want to hear about something more exciting. Well, this actually is very exciting stuff. And we're going to look in Act 6 about the situation uh, that came about and about their solution and where they basically introduced the, perhaps the earliest form of deacons. They weren't called deacons yet, but they were a picture of what sometimes is called a proto-deacon, just a, a prototype of a deacon. And In in the story, you're going to see the difference it made. And that's really what excites me about deacons. Uh, Certainly what excites me about deacons is the sort of people that serve in this role. They are gifts to us, and I feel very blessed to lead a church with deacons in it. Uh, But I get really excited about the fruit that results when deacons function biblically. Um, The fruit of the gospel, and this passage talks about that. So we're going to take some time to go through this and learn from God's word. He's given us everything we need. For life and godliness, he's given us everything we need as a church uh, to deal with all our different challenges, and uh, and so let's take a look at this passage and learn. Uh, just to give you a little background, this is the early church. This is the church uh, Jesus had had ascended. He had died for sins. He had been in ground dead. He rose again from the dead alive forevermore, uh, and then he ascended. And this is after all that he sent the Spirit. Spirit has come and filled God's people. The gospel's being preached, communities being built, missions being done, God's being glorified. There's lots of wonderful things happening. The church in Jerusalem started with just 120 and it's gone to thousands. We don't know quite how many thousands, maybe 10,000, maybe more, maybe less than that, but, but it's grown. And it's faced different obstacles. If you follow the storyline of Acts, it's faced the obstacle of persecution from without. Uh, there were those who opposed the church and they, they imprisoned and beat the the apostles, and and yet they came and they kept on preaching and building, and God just continued to work. in them. then there was corruption from within, and God dealt with that. And then we come to this part of the story, where now there's another problem, and really we could could call it confusion from within. There's confusion from within. And God brings a solution, so we're going to see that. So let me pray, and we'll look through Acts 6, 1 through 7. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you did in the Jerusalem church the difference it made to have these these men come and serve in this role and thank you lord that this isn't just for them but for us and lord you care about us you care about king of grace church you care about our mission you care about us reflecting christ to one another to you to the community and so i ask you father in your love for us your purposes for us would you help us grab a hold of these truths never be the same, to learn how to walk out these truths as a church and experience great gospel fruitfulness For your glory and our joy, we ask in Christ's name, amen. You can follow along, Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7 will be projected. Uh, If you have a Bible, read through your Bible. I'm in the English Standard Version. It says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. God's Word, Acts 6, 1 through 7. This is an instructive paragraph, section of Scripture. And it gives us a picture of the church and what they were going through. And we know as we follow the storyline that God is bringing answers. And he brings answers here. He bring, brings answers to them and, and they're growing pains. they really, there are growing pains going on. They're growing. They're facing challenges and there's this confusion, this this possible disunity that has crept in. And I think in some ways that, that we as a church are and have been in a similar phase. We are growing. And, and as a pastor, as I've reflected, really as our leaders have reflected, we're just aware that there are some growing pains that we face. Uh, when we were smaller, um, which was now five years ago or so, when we moved in here, we were about 80 people. It was really easy to do community. It was really easy to be in each other's lives. It was really easy to, to raise up leaders and so forth. And, but as we've grown, it's been, become a little harder because we've, there are more people. And there are dynamics that go on with size and so forth where you feel like, well, I don't get to know this person. I don't, don't get to talk to this person. And so in some ways, we, we are experiencing growing pains like that and, and otherwise. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God gives us solutions to these. And this passage is just a great example of how the church comes. They have these challenges. They have growing pains. And really, they look to the Lord. The Lord brings this solution, brings this solution of really deacons. So I just want to walk through this. I want to identify some key things going on. First, I want to talk about the problem, what the problem is, what's happening. Uh, Then I want to talk about the principles, just a couple principles. There's a number of principles at stake here, but I'll just cover probably two of them. I want to talk about the plan that they follow, and related to that plan are, are the people. And in and, and that point, I want to take a little bit of a segue to talk about deacons and to talk about our understanding of deacons, because uh, this passage doesn't explicitly mention deacons, but it points to them, so I want to look at other scriptures that describe that a little more. And then I just want to talk about the prosperity that results. If you like alliteration, you're probably very happy with those points. If you're not, I apologize. Um, first, just the problem. The church here is growing. Did you you see in the first verse? Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, they're increasing in number. The disciples are increasing. They're they're continuing to increase. They're growing and growing and growing. This is a good thing, right? It's a good thing to grow. It's a good thing to see people come to know Christ and be added to the church. It's a good thing to see God glorified in transformed lives, right? It's a good thing for a local church to grow. Right? It's a good thing for King of Grace to grow and start to fill out the seats. It's a good thing that we're so large in some ways, and we're not huge or anything, but we're large enough that it's hard to get to know everybody. That's a good thing. Not that we don't get to know everybody. We want to know everybody. But it's a good thing that we're large enough that we're facing that difficulty. It's a good thing that they're growing. And, and, and we have to get that. And we have to understand for us as a church, as we face our challenges, these challenges are here largely because We're growing. We're expanding and we have to learn how to be a medium or larger church instead of a small church. Nothing wrong with a small church, but God is giving us increase. And that's what's going on here in Jerusalem. They're, they're increasing, they're growing. And they're facing challenges. Growth is messy. There's no way around it. I love Proverbs fourteen four. Does anyone know Proverbs for fourteen four? Yes you do, because it's written there up on the on the wall. Where where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Now this is a wonderful proverb, but we're not necessarily agrarian, so we may not get just how profound this is, all right? The manger is what? The place where the ox lives, right? And ox oxen stink, right? They really stink. And they create solid stink. And solid stink fills up the manger fills up the barn, fills up the pasture, right? If you, Anyone here ever work on a farm or in a barn, in a, on a farmhouse, okay? You guys know, right? Someone has to shovel the solid stink, and, and that's just a reality. And if you don't have any oxen, you don't have to deal with the stink, right? Your, your manger's nice and neat. Your barn's nice and neat. Your stall's nice and neat. But if your oxen is how you plow, you need the oxen. And with this stinky animal comes an abundance of crops, comes fruitfulness. And Solomon's not saying that in the Proverbs just because it's true for for farmers. He's pointing to a reality, right? He's pointing to the reality that that as you add people, add things that are fruitful, you're going to have messes. And we make messes, folks. People make messes. Churches make messes. It's messes that come with us. But growth and change is a good thing as we pursue the mission God has given to us. There are crops. There is fruitfulness that comes. And so there's the mess factor. And that's what's going on here. And we don't want to think about the mess. We want to think about the fruitful crops. We want to see past that to the fruitfulness that comes as we learn, as we follow uh, the wisdom of God's word, adapt to our growth, and continue. You know, we could have a very orderly peaceful church. The most peaceful church, actually, the most neat and tidy church is really the church of one, which is not a church, right? If you have one person, everybody always agrees. It's always you know peaceful. There's no arguments and stuff. Their things are great. But you start adding people, you have messes. You have things to work through. You have to learn to build relationships with one another. You have to learn to listen. You have to learn to work together as a body. And there's this crazy instinct that we have at times, maybe it's occurred to you, maybe not, where we think, I, I don't want that. Where's the church I used to know? Where's that smaller church that I knew where I knew everybody and everybody was connected? And and we can be like, we don't want the oxen. We want neat and tidy, but that's not the purpose here. The purpose is fruitfulness. The purpose is growth and and so the Jerusalem church is experiencing this sort of thing. There's a mess going on. They are adding people, and they're adding uh, Hellenists. Uh, now, these are not, uh, Hellenist means Greek. They're not Greek, uh, full-blood Greeks. They're, they are Hellenized Jews, okay? So uh, in, the, in the day, at uh, that time, the Jews had, uh, they lived around Jerusalem and in, in the nation of Israel, that area. But they also had dispersed throughout the, uh, the Roman Empire at the time uh, really was the Greek Empire. And a lot of them were influenced by Greek culture. And so they would have spoken Greek as their primary language instead of Aramaic, uh, which was the primary language of the Hebrew Christians. They probably dressed differently. They probably acted differently. They probably did some of the Greek things that, that the Hebrew, the more Hebrew Christians, the ones that had grown up in the Holy Land, didn't do. So you had these two groups together. And, and there are differences there. There are different cultures. There's a language barrier. There's a cultural divide, and that's the issue they're dealing with. And, and Scripture never, never really says, "Well, just make two different congregations." You know, that's the way to handle this. Just why don't they just have a Jewish, you know, Jewish Christian church in Jerusalem? I mean, a, a Hellenic, Hellenist one and a Hebrew one. Separate them. It doesn't say that. That's not what goes on here and elsewhere in Scripture. That can be sometimes what people say. But we don't see it in scripture. Uh, they, they are to come together. They're to deal with this, this issue. And that's what goes on here. Uh, there is there's a problem here. Now, it's not just that there's a cultural divide. It's not just that there's a language divide. Uh, there's not just challenges with that. And we, we will face the same thing, too. I trust that we will be a church that represents this community more and more. And that means there's going to be Latino and Anglo folks. And we're going to face different issues. One will be starting at 10 o'clock. Um. All the Angles will be here at 10, and all the Latino brothers and sisters will kind of come in 10:30 maybe, and we'll have to walk through that. But that's nothing compared to what these guys were facing. These guys were dealing with a problem with with widows uh, who were being neglected in the daily distribution. So uh, there were widows who lived there, and they had a system to care for them. These were widows who were older, uh, you know, they they were needy, they were vulnerable at that time. They didn't have the sort of safety nets that we do. Uh, At times, we don't always have. And so they relied on the church to care for them. And it's really just a side point. It's really interesting to note how quickly they implemented these things. I think the gospel immediately produces a people who are charitable and merciful and who do works of social justice. That's a side point. But they're caring for their widows. And there's a daily distribution. And the the Greek-speaking widows are being neglected. That's a bad thing. They're being neglected. There's a complaint that arises. They're being neglected. There's widows going hungry here. All right? That's not okay. Hungry widows. You don't want to have hungry widows in your church. That's a serious thing that's going on. They're they're going hungry. They're being neglected. It's a serious issue for them. And there's a complaint that arises. It says that a complaint by the Hellenists arose. Now, this was not like a, a feedback form someone received. Just said, hey, just notice, you know, I... My, my grandmother's not getting fed. Could you help? You know, it's just, it was, it was uh, complaining, really murmuring was going on, right? There was uh, talk going on. There was this low-level uh, discussion, of this disquiet, this, this, this complaint, this displeasure, murmuring. So people were talking about the problem with each other in, 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 in a way that wasn't constructive. Really, that's what it means when it talks about murmuring talking about the issue. And boy, that's a whole other message unto itself. Uh, many a church has been destroyed through murmuring. Uh, and, and it's important for us, uh, and, I, and I think our church does really well in this, important for us to, to refuse to murmur, and but instead to practice redemptive speech. And, and you guys do that so well. We actually have a policy as a church on redemptive speech. If you're a member, you go through and you should have read that policy. And really, it's just, it's just outlining how we deal with complaints or issues. If, if the widows are ever going hungry, how do we going to deal with that? And just says, basically, we go to the source who can solve it. We, we bring that request. Uh, we don't just vent with one another and, and do something negative uh, as a result. And, and as I've said, many a church has been harmed or destroyed. I mean, I, I know, and I can list, I can name names of churches that have been destroyed through murmuring. Uh, and that's what the danger is here. There's murmuring going on. Um, and this church in Jerusalem is in danger. It's made it through persecution. It's made it through corruption within. But, but will it make it through this confusion? Well, it's wonderful to see what the apostles do. These are men who had been with Jesus. And they had learned from him the leadership. They had learned from him biblical principles. And instead of, of ignoring it or, or lashing out at those who murmur uh, merely or something or, or, or blaming the guy who carried the breadbasket around, it's his fault uh, he, he hasn't got to the widows. It's not ours. They didn't do any of that. They aggressively sought to deal with the problem. That's what leadership is called to do when there is murmuring and there are problems to go after that. And really all of us together should look for solutions. And so a solution is brought here. A solution is brought to the church. It's this problem that could have destroyed it, but instead they are active in pursuing the problem and they come up with a plan. Says the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they said, guys, find somebody other than us to take care of this problem. There's wonderful wisdom there. There's principles operating behind those choices first off the unity of the church these are uh, apostles have taught us God has taught us through them in the word the importance of the unity of the church the unity of the church is a church of, is a precious thing to be of one heart and one mind is a natural product of belonging to Christ one faith one baptism one God we're united around him and we are to live that out and in mutual love for one another, for the Lord, mutual mindset. It doesn't mean we all have the same opinions. It doesn't mean we all like the color burgundy, whatever these chairs are. Sorry, I'm not a color guy. I was gonna say, whatever color they are, but you know, it doesn't mean we all like the same color. We might have differences of opinions, but our heart's the same. So we can have a discussion about the color of the chairs and defer to one another? Because we have something greater that we're united around. We're united around Christ. We're united around the gospel going forward. We love one another. That unity is important. Psalms teach us how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. So the, the apostles wanted to preserve this unity. The principle of unity is worthy of the best efforts of any leader. So that principle was there. Another one principle that was there was the priority of the Word of God. It's interesting how the the apostles make a point about this. They make a point about the Word. They, They should not be waiting on tables. They should pay attention to the Word. It would have been easy for them to have missed that. I mean, think about what's going on. What's at stake, right? There is a murmuring campaign going on. People are upset. And, and if it had continued, I mean, the church in Jerusalem could have split apart. All the work, all the things that God had planned for Jerusalem, all the things that God had planned for his church, really, as the church grew, it was flowing out of Jerusalem. All these things were at stake. And the apostles could have thought, whoa, we gotta, we got to put this fire out immediately. And they could have thought that the solution was for them to get involved, to get involved in the daily distribution, to get involved in the bread. You know, it's, these guys are messing up, so... I'm going to take it on. I'm going to be the guy that delivers the bread to the Greek-speaking Christian, Christian Jews. Um, they could have done that. And sometimes that's what happens in churches, too. There are crises, and, and, and pastors or the church think, well, pastors need to come in and do the work. But that's not what they did. These guys understood their priorities. They knew what was important. They knew that their, the ministry of the Word and prayer was their priority, and this is so important to get. Because it applies not only to the apostles in the Jerusalem church, but it really applies to what a pastor is called to, what a pastoral team is called to. Pastoral, pastoral team is not called to do ministry. A pastor or pastoral team is not called to do ministry. The church does ministry. Pastors equip the church for ministry. Our job is to equip you guys, to encourage you guys, to serve and to lead in in an oversight way. You guys who do the ministry, not the pastors. The apostles got this. They knew their job, their priority was the word. And the the church's priority was ministry. And the history of the church of God points to this. I mean, just look throughout church history. Look throughout church history and look at the great moves of God. What do they have in common? They have in common a strong ministry of God's word. They have in common a valuing of God's word, a preaching, a teaching, a living out in, in compliance with God's word. Look at, look at the church of Antioch, the church here in Jerusalem. Look at missionary work, Patrick. Look at Chrysostom. Look at the Waldensians and Wycliffe. Look at Luther and Calvin, Knox, Bunyan, the Great Awakenings, Methodist Movement, Edwards, Whitfield, Circuit Riders, Moody, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, Tozer, Graham, Swindoll, Evans, Piper Sproul, Keller, MacArthur, all these fruitful ministries, what do they have in common? The priority of the word of God. John MacArthur has said the following aptly spoken. You show me a church where there is strong biblical preaching and teaching, and I will show you strong people and strong ministry. You show me a church where there is weak biblical preaching, and I will show you a church with weak people and weak ministry." that's just how it goes because the word of God is the food that makes believers mature and strong. It is the priority of pastors and certainly apostles to minister the word. These guys understood that and they knew it was a danger for them. It was a trap for them to think the solution to this issue was for them to get involved directly. They avoided that trap and came up with this plan. They, they, um, they shared the problem with the whole church. They communicated with the whole church, the problem. They sought to work together with the whole church because they understood that they were part of the church and they had a role with the church. And then they invited the church to share with that burden and to participate in the solution. It's, it's, it's a wonderful picture of a church properly led but led together. I mean, they're apostles. They could have just unilaterally said, guys, here's the solution, do it. But they invite the church in. There's this conversation. And then they assign the church responsibility. And I think perhaps that's a a lesson that we can miss. And I think churches that miss that lesson will will fail to thrive and fail to grow. Because they may add people through the Word. But if they don't get that they together are the church, that they together do ministry, that the pastors don't do ministry, they, they will be limited in what they can do because the pastors can't get to know everybody. The pastors cannot meet the needs of everybody. Pastors cannot do all the evangelism, and they're not supposed to. They're supposed to equip and serve and raise up leaders and send them out to do ministry. So these guys invite the church in. They invite the church to to select men that are qualified, not just any old person. They want men of good repute, men who have good reputations, who are well-regarded and respected. Uh, not just because of the reputation, because it points to substance in their lives. Men full of the Spirit, who are men who walk in the power of the Spirit. They're dependent on the Lord. They're committed, I think, in that, to the gospel. And of wisdom, men who can see issues and, and think through them and bring solutions. So they're qualified leaders. And, and so they pick these guys, and, and they, they pick uh, this, this group. And they end up, this group ends up being very significant seven men. In the storyline later you will see these are just not guys who are, are supposed to be carrying bread baskets. These are leaders. These are leaders who are overseeing ministries. And they're gifted for that. Uh, if they just wanted guys that would be, could maybe speak Greek and carry a bread box they didn't necessarily need to be of good repute full of spirit and wisdom. They just needed to have strong backs and speak another language. These are men who are called to leadership and they come and they're they're reviewed and approved by the apostles and they're appointed and they go out and there's fruit there's great fruit look at the result look at the result in verse 7 and the word of god continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied how much greatly in Jerusalem and to add a little tidbit to show you what was going on a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith, the unlikely were reached through the ministry of the word and through the church as the church employed this proper solution of really what are deacons so I want to take a little bit of time now in light of this wonderful passage just to talk about us as a church and how we would understand and I want to talk about how we understand deacons and I want to talk about how we seek to practice the role of deacon and I want to keep in mind that this is for the purpose of what we see in verse 7 this great fruitfulness Well, Scripture talks about the role of deacon. It's not mentioned here as a deacon. The word deacon is is used uh, because deacon means simply to minister, to serve, to help. That's all it means. And really, every Christian is called to be a deacon. Every Christian is called to serve and help others. And and so in just the general use of the term, uh, it applies to all believers. But there is a special use of the term in Scripture where it points to more than just the action but the office. And one passage where it does that pretty clearly is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. So please turn there. I think we have it to project as well. And this is a description of deacons, of the qualifications of deacons. It is in a section of scripture in 1 Timothy 3 where Paul is talking about leadership in the church. He writes the letter of 1 Timothy to who? Timothy. Yep, just want to make sure you're paying attention. He writes it to Timothy, and he wants to help Timothy be instructed in how to lead the church at Ephesus. Uh, So there's personal aspects to it. He talks about character and what a leader looks like, what Timothy should look like. But then in this section, he talks about what leadership should look like, what the qualifications are. He spends a lot of time in this particular section talking about character traits. These are to be people who are exemplary Christians. All the character traits apply to every believer. Every believer should show these sort of character traits, uh, more or less, uh, Teaching, I think, is a, is a special gift that some would have, others might not. Um, but they're character traits that are just godly character traits, because the church needs to be led by people of character, sound character, good reputation. He talks about elders, and then he goes into the section on deacons, and he talks about their character traits, and if you look through it, you'll notice that they're just about the exact character traits as the elders. But there's one difference: they don't have to have the ability to teach. An elder needs to be able to teach. An elder needs to be able to preach the word because that is really what an elder does—a elder, a pastor, uh, synonymous in Scripture. Elder, pastor, overseer, synonymous in Scripture. They are called to shepherd and to lead the church through through the word of God, through bringing the truth of the word of God, helping the church apply and live out the word of God. And a deacon, though, is slightly different. There's not that requirement, and so that that's put here. They are to be godly people. They are to be mature Christians. Another thing that I want to point out and talk to you about as well, is I believe that this scripture, this passage, and other passages also teach that there are to be male and female deacons. Now, there are different opinions on what that looks like within Christianity. There are those who would say that women should not be allowed to be deacons. They should not be allowed to serve as deacons. That... Point of view comes from some other scriptures that talk about the, the proper gender roles that God gives in the church. Women are to, the, the, the scripture never calls women to not be fully engaged in a church. There's, the scripture is just full of women, fully engaged. Paul spends all this time commending women who are fully engaged in the church. So, so uh, people, no one I think believes that. But some would say, well, deacons are kind of a, a leadership type role and, and elsewhere in scripture it talks about a woman not uh, exercising authority over men just in the gender roles that's it that's something that the call of God it's not because of competence scripture never says men are inherently smarter than women and we all know they're not <laughs> if you're married you know that's just not true that's not the reason it's God's God's design and, and that those truths are good there's our gender roles in scripture from God by his call and we, we operate on those by faith not sometimes not by sight Sometimes you may look and think, "Wow, that's a very competent woman. She could do everything I do." But God's word says, no, she's not to serve in that role. There's to be distinctions. So some people take that truth, which is a good truth and say, "Well, therefore they can't be deacons." So that's one of the views out there. There's another view kind of on the other end, that says, "Well, they should be able to be deacons just like any deacon, male or female, No difference and they would look to this passage, they would look elsewhere where Paul commends women in serving and we're going to look at some of those passages. Um, and they would say that, well, I am advocating a different middle position, not because I like to be in the middle necessarily because I think it's most pivotal. I think there is a role for women deacons that are it's a role that's different than male deacons. And so I would use the word deaconess to distinguish it from a male deacon, and there are differences there. Uh, there's a lot of overlap, but there are some differences, and really those differences have to do with honoring, I think, what the Scriptures say and honoring the distinctive gender roles of men and women, and not blurring them, just being clear and, and both in the spirit and the letter, what Scripture calls us to. So I'm just going to walk you through the Scripture and reasons for that. Okay? I, I want you to believe it because God's Word says it. So if you look in, in uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, you'll see that it's talking about the qualifications of deacons and then in the middle so chapter three verse eight it's talking about deacons these qualities uh, must be dignified not double-tongued not addicted to much wine not greedy for dishonest gain they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless so so it's using it's talking about deacons and, and the word is masculine the implication here is uh, I believe, men. And then verse 11. you see what verse 11 says? Their wives likewise, in, in the ESV, most translations say wives or their wives, likewise must be dignified. Not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then it goes back to talk about deacons. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children their own households well. And, and so forth. Verse eleven talks about their wives, but if you look it up in another translation, like the Young's little literal translation or the NAS translation, so you can show that. Um, I think it's the next slide. If you look up in those translations, you'll see it translated differently. It says women, it doesn't say their wives. So verse uh, verse eleven says women, in like manner, so forth, and uh, so the NAS. NAS why does this translation say women? Well, because that's what it says in the original language. It's the word women. Uh, it's not there. There's no possessive. It doesn't say it's, you know, the woman of the deacons we're talking about. Uh, it's the word women. It's a generic term. Okay? It can be used for wife. So It's not that it, it's improper to say wife, but it's a generic term. Women, wife. There's no possessive. It doesn't say whose woman this is. It just says women. Okay? Plural. I think that's enlightening. I think that's important to to note as we go through this that it's not saying their wives so it's not constricting us to an interpretation that this is their wives now some people would see that and say well it is their wives it's, you know, that's why it's translated their wives perhaps and then there are two different conclusions that get drawn from that Okay, when they say it's their wives one would say well it's just the wives of the deacons because we want deacons to be godly people and we don't want their wives to be a problem so they need to have godly wives, and we, and we need to make sure that they're doing a good job loving and leading their wives. So this is just a, an extra requirement to make sure we have good deacons. We make sure they have good wives. That's what some would say. What I would say is that's not anywhere else in Scripture when it talks about qualifications for church officers. Nowhere does it say elders should be all this, and elders' wives should be these things. So why would it say that deacons' wives have this extra requirement? I don't, I don't think it's referring to just the fact that they're their wives. The, the second possibility is that Paul is assuming, and, and church history would point to this as a possibility, not, a, not the only possibility, but a possibility, that these deacons have deaconesses who are their wives, that, that their expectation and practice in the church is that the deacons themselves are deaconing, they're leading ministries, they're caring for people, and their wives who do that with them, not necessarily all of them, but there's, there, some of them have wives who ha- are serving that way too. They need to have qualifications. Right? So there's the, the deaconess who's married to the deacon. And that's why it says that in the middle of the whole thing. That is a, a possibility. I actually don't have a problem with that possibility. Uh, that it's just, you have a deacon and you have some guys who their wives are deaconess material. But I, I think there are some problems with that. Uh, and I see elsewhere in scripture that that there are women that aren't necessarily uh, attached to a man who are serving in like capacity. I just think it's clear to just say the category of deaconess. A uh, deaconess has to qualify according to this verse. Notice it's different, though, than the deacon's qualifications, right? It's a lot shorter. There's not as much. There's nothing here about managing the household well. And, and when it talks, about, it talks about the deacon, he needs to... Uh, he needs to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It's a more a description there. More, it's more intensive. This needs to be a guy who is solid in doctrine. This is a guy who's solid as a Christian. Clear conscience. There's integrity. Now, not that the woman shouldn't have integrity, but it, it just says faithful in all things. Because generally, she needs to be a godly, faithful person. There's less intensity to the requirement. And I think that points to a distinguishing between a deacon and a deaconess. Because the role of deacon is going to be more leadership intensive. Role of deaconess. Reflecting biblical gender roles. Men are called to lead in an explicit authoritative way. Now, Not through the preaching of the word because the deacon doesn't have to teach but there's going to be stronger leadership through deacons. There's going to be a degree of leadership through the deaconesses but, but it's not the same. It's more coordinating leading ministries. I hope that makes sense and that's just off of 1 Timothy 3. We can look elsewhere in scripture too in Romans chapter 16 verse 1 Paul mentions Phoebe and he calls Phoebe a deacon now you could look at that different ways you could say well he's just calling her a servant cuz she's a you know she's a wonderful christian woman who's helping out she's a servant she's a minister just generally speaking she doesn't have a special role that could be true but i think it's more likely she has a special role because if you look he says, I, he, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now this is at the beginning of his whole section of commending people and talking to people. I commend to you our, to, to you our sister Phoebe. I, I don't have this to project, I'm sorry. A servant of the church of Cancria, uh, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Cancria, which, at Kencrea, which is the Corinthian church. So it does use the word deacon. The servant, it says maybe in your translation, the word is literally de- deacon. And then Paul wants them to welcome her and help her. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So she is operating in some sort of official capacity apparently here as she goes to Rome. So Paul's saying, look, I commend to you, Phoebe. I believe a deacon. And by the way, there was no word for deaconess. They hadn't developed a deaconess word. So they used deacon for men and women. Um, there, there was only that one form. So... So she's a deacon. She's a female deacon. And Paul is commending her to the Romans because she has some sort of ministry as a deaconess. That's not the end of the list. You can look elsewhere in Romans 16 and elsewhere in Scripture and see many women who serve in prominent roles. You have Priscilla, the wife of Aquila. You have Iodia and Synthchi and Philippi. These are significant women. You can look in, in, the, in the book, Letter to the Philippians. Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis here in, in Romans as well. All commended by Paul, not just generically. Now, there are lots of other women who are commended in Scripture generically, just godly women who have been helpful. He actually calls these women co-workers, co-laborers. There, there's a greater import to the title. They have some sort of official role. Now, I'm not saying that these are all deacons and Paul just fails to mention it because the, the understanding and practice of deacon, deaconess was something that was developing in the local church. But I think it's wise put a title to women ministry leaders in the church from Scripture, 1 Timothy 3, from the example of Romans 16 and elsewhere, and because we live in a culture that is very confused and conflicted over women's roles. And so it behooves us, as we seek to model to the world what it looks like, what the church looks like, to call this something, to, to make sure that, on one hand, we are employing and using women in their gifts, as much as possible. And on the other hand, projecting to the world that, look, we are complementarian. We believe there are differences. But that, in no way, you're not going to put us in this box that, that we're chauvinists. We believe in women being fully engaged according to their gifts in the local church. And so we have official roles and we call them deaconesses. So I think that's wise. I think it's scriptural. I think would be in good company as well. If I were the only one interpreting Scripture this way and saying these things, you should, have, you should talk to me, talk to Pastor Jeff. Uh, there should be a problem, but I'm not. We're in good company. The early church understood and practiced this. John Calvin's Genevan church practiced this. Ligon Duncan, a Presbyterian leader, practices this. Tim Keller practices this. Mark Dever, John MacArthur, Mark Driscoll, Matt Chandler, John Piper, all people respected men of God with fruitful churches who value biblical complementarianism, value biblical gender roles, they practice deaconesses. So we're in good company. So I want to just propose to you that we begin to designate men and women who serve in these roles, who lead ministries as deacons and deaconesses. That we develop a way to do this. That we work towards having this office to serve us. Why? Because Acts 6 verse 7 tells us the result of this is fruitfulness. The result of this is freeing pastors up to better equip and, and preach the word and minister the word and, and to have an effect on the church. So we are committed to this. We are committed to the practice of deacons and deaconesses. And just to talk about how we're going to do it, some ways that we as a church are going to do it. Well, we are going to uh, assign a task to any role of deacon and deaconess. There will be a job description. That's something we haven't done too well at in the past. That's my fault. I take the blame for that. We, we appointed deacons, wonderful godly men, very capable, but we didn't necessarily say exactly what and maintain that, and it, and it can be confusing. Uh, just like you can't have a, a, a guy who's maybe ordained, but he's pastoring without a church. doesn't make sense, right? You can't have a deacon without a task, and so we will develop job descriptions. We have job descriptions for many of our deacon-type roles already, so every deacon will have A job description. Deaconess will have a job description, a task. They'll know what their tasks are, and there will be terms. And they will serve in in ministry leadership. That's a difference that we would have with some other churches' understanding and practice of deacons. In some groups, the deacon is the guy that cuts the grass or vacuums the rug in the the church. And certainly that's something a deacon can do, something a pastor can do too. But, but, But as we look through scripture and we study this, these are men who are called to maturity, spiritual maturity, men and women there are qualifications that point to them doing something much more than just a physical task. There's leadership behind it. And so we believe that they are called as ministry leaders. And um, I think John MacArthur says it well as he talks about this. We have a quote from him to put up. He says, while deacons are to be as godly as elders, they differ from them in terms of their ability to teach. The authority of pastors and elders is based on their proclamation and exposition of God's word. Yet, Right alongside the elders come those who implement what's been taught and whose lives are no less godly than theirs. Deacons are to raise, seem to raise the congregation to the highest level of spiritual virtue, not to set themselves apart as abnormally pious people who, uh, whom the congregation could never expect to imitate. So they are to be pace setters, and they are to come alongside the pastors and really implement and apply the word of God. So that's that's our approach uh, as a church to, to practice this to have job descriptions to have terms um, and every deacon every deaconess uh, will have that every deacon deaconess will be under the care and mentoring supervision of either another deacon or a pastor so everyone who serves there will, will be cared for A part of our, our job I believe is to care for our deacons to care for their souls to help them do their job well so they'll all be part of that we have a leaders, two leaders care groups that meet. Uh, one under Pastor Jeff, one under me. And part of that group, uh, those are deacons who are in that group and, and leadership team members who are in that group so that there's care that goes on. Um, it's our commitment, it's my, our practice that we meet with our deacons to care for them. So, so that's our approach with that, that we will have job descriptions, terms, there will be care. We would ask every deacon, deaconess also to be thinking in terms of developing future deacons and deaconesses. In Acts 6, it's interesting to note how the, the apostles come and say, guys, we got this problem. Here, you help out. You do this. And so the church recommends these guys, these seven guys, apostles, you know, make sure they're okay, and then they uh, appoint them. For us as a church, we would welcome you coming to the elders and saying, hey, I know somebody. Maybe we don't know. And as we grow, we're not going to be able to know everybody. I have to say, we're constantly looking around for people to equip and plug into different roles. So we're going to be active in that, but we would also love you to say, hey, I I know somebody very gifted in this area or is interested in this area, this ministry. What do you think? We want, as a church, to take on this responsibility to have people serve in this role. And I think uh, we'll have a lot of overlap between deacons and deaconesses, but there will be some roles that we would, uh, I don't think, would honor what Scripture calls uh, women to do. So some of the authoritative deacon roles, so like a small group leader over a mixed group, well, that'll be a deacon, not a deaconess. But certain mercy ministries, certainly women's ministries, outreach and evangelism efforts, uh, depending and stuff, but most efforts like that, children's ministry, there's just lots of possibilities for both a deacon or a deaconess to oversee. Um, our finance team, really, I would understand our finance team as a team of deacons and deaconesses. The chair of that team, I think, should be a deacon, a man because of the leadership that's expressed in the chairmanship of that. But, but if you are a woman who has financial skills, please talk to me right after the message today. I want to hear from you because we need uh, to strengthen this team. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's clear. I know probably for some of you it's like this is new. I never heard Pastor Paul talk about uh, deacons, never mind deaconesses. Um, and so, we want you to know that we're not. This isn't going to like happen tomorrow. Uh, I want to hear from you. If you have questions, I would love to talk with you more about that. Uh, if you're interested in being a deacon or deaconess, talk to us. We would love to do all we can because we need you. And the growing pains for our church, I think, a lot uh, of the growing pains that we experience, and not that we're rife with growing pains. There's a lot of fruitfulness and good things going on, here. but I can probably link every single one of them to this. And if we have strong deacons and deaconesses i think will successfully move into the future successfully be able to care for one another successfully be able to promote community successfully be able to strengthen our small groups really our our most important ministry outside of our time together on sunday is our small groups and the quality of our small groups both who the leaders are and what goes on in those small groups the, the care that goes on the worship the mini- ministry the mission together reaching out together really will determine the quality of our church so we want to strengthen that these other other ministries. The goal in all this is prosperity, not the sort of prosperity you might hear on certain Christian cable TV shows, but gospel prosperity. Gospel prosperity, prosperity of the church that we see in Acts six verse seven, where where the church grows, where people are reached, where people are disciples where there's maturity, where there's more mission, where people are sent out, where this church reaches greater heaven, where this church continues to plant other churches, where this church raises people up and people experience a life in this church that changes their lives and changes perhaps even the course of their lives. Maybe they simply understand Getting a good job, working hard, loving their family is their way to glorify God in in community and reaching out to the neighbors. That's their call. Maybe there'll be people who, who go to the nations from this church because of our gospel prosperity. Our gospel prosperity is tied to this issue of deacons and deaconesses. And I just want you to get that. I want you to understand and just ask that you would pray and expect God. And as the band comes up, just in conclusion to ask yourself what does God want me to do? What role am I called to do? Would God want to use me as a leader of some ministry? Or does God want me to come alongside someone who's leading already and make them successful? And I would just say your small group is the first place to do that. But there might be other ministries as well. Other ways you can do that. So what is God calling you to do? The apostles gathered the whole church together and said, here's the burden, here's the problem. Let's solve it together. I'm gathering you together right now. Saying, guys, we need to learn how to do this, how to strengthen this, how to strengthen our ministries. Let's solve this together. And that means that he's going to call some of you. It's it's by his grace. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. But I do want to call you to respond. For the fruit of this church. For the glory of God. For our joy in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Acts chapter 6. Thank you for 1 Timothy 3. And thank you for the blessing of deacons, this solution that you bring for the success of your church. Now, Lord, we look to you. I look to you. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to pour out your presence and your power and stir up gifts, grant faith, and put each member in the proper place. You'd speak to some who you're calling to serve and lead, others who you're calling to be trained to lead in the future, and others who you're calling just to participate in some way as you lead. Would you do that, Holy Spirit? Would you build us up? Would you lead us forward into great fruitfulness? For the sake of your name, for the sake of the lost, for our joy, we pray. In Christ's name. Let's stand. Guys, let's uh, sing Behold Our God.